0: God, well, you know what he's up to, don't you? You just always get surprised when, when you get to be a, a, a walk into an opportunity like that, and that's really uh, kind of the crux of what we're talking about. Uh, in uh, began last year, talking about uh, keeping the main thing, the main thing, and uh, the main thing is God. The main thing is God, right? The main thing is what? God. It is God. And uh, sadly, it's easy for that to slip off of our radar screens, those of us that even know that. And uh, the reality is, is that most of the world does not even know that that is the main thing. And, uh, And so, what does it look like to keep God as the main thing? There's lots of ways that the Bible puts this. In other words, you could put it this way. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul would say, the main thing is to know God, know Him in the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, and to make Him known to other people. Jesus put it this way, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so, this is the way that we have uh, captured that here, using that call of the Lord Jesus. The main thing is to be a developing, devoted follower of Jesus, and to be going and developing devoted followers of Jesus. Uh, In other words, to to continue to grow in our own devotion so that God is the main thing, and we recognize that and grow in that reality more every single day of our lives till we take our final breath and to make sure that we're on a mission to help other people to know that God's the main thing and help Him grow to be bigger in their own lives. This is something that's unique uh, to the church, by the way. And it's part of what makes uh, church ministry or adds a, a dynamic to church ministry that often is not true in uh, places of employment and other places. And I was talking to uh, to Mike this week, uh, uh, because when, when we're looking for people to fulfill a responsibility in the church, we're not just looking for someone who has competency to accomplish that task. We're looking for somebody that has a competency to do that task but this is their main thing. And so when we're looking for someone to do crafts or something, we're not just looking for someone who can really organize to do crafts because so what if it's the most organized thing and we produce the best crafts? If, if there hasn't been a discipling of, of the people making the crafts to help God become more the main thing, we've missed the whole point of who we are. You might as well go to a craft shop. And so, it's, and it's easy for us to fall into this mold of the world where we just focus upon competencies, and we forget this is the main thing. Now, for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, when we go into our vocations, wherever those are, we obviously want to be very competent in what we do, but we bring this dynamic with us as well. And it's not just an issue of being competent and winning awards and getting promotions or whatever that might look like. If we do all of that and we never develop other people to be devoted followers of Jesus, it's a waste. In fact, quite frankly, it's all about us as an individual. We're big. God is little. And so this is what makes the Christian life so radically different than than everything else and, uh, and, it's, and, and this is why it's easy for the main thing to end up not being the main thing. And, uh, and so, last week we dealt some and we talked through what it means to be a devoted, uh, personally be uh, one who's growing in our own development and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ and helping others. This morning, I want to specifically address keeping the main thing the main thing. It's one thing to know the main thing, it's another thing to keep the main thing, the main thing. And uh, we could spend probably the rest of today talking about things that, that try to push the main thing from being the main thing. I mean, they're all over the place, aren't they? I mean, our heart does not have a natural inclination to keep the main thing, the main thing. Uh, our heart still has a lot of the flesh there that wants comfort, wants security, wants recognition. Uh, wants all of those things. And to make the main thing the main thing, sometimes those have to be died to, as the Apostle Paul would say, counted as manure. That's just, that's just counter our flesh. And, uh, and so much of keeping the main thing the main thing is just counterintuitive. It is not intuitive for any of us to walk humbly with God. It is not intuitive for us to live vulnerably. And so there's the stuff within our flesh, there's the powers in the world that that force their way in upon us and would want to push the main thing out of our lives, and so to keep the main thing the main thing we also have to be countercultural. And that's no easy thing either. Um, how in the world do we keep valuing eternity more than today? When things are pressed in upon us, oh, don't miss this opportunity. If you miss this opportunity, you'll never have it again. And uh, Camilla and I talk with regret about things that we jumped into with our own kids because the pressure was, don't miss this opportunity. And in fact, that opportunity was not helpful to this. It was actually pulled away from God being the main thing in their life, of them being a developing, devoted follower, Jesus, and them helping others. Now, we didn't know that at the time, but quite frankly, the forces of the world pressed in upon us. And it's only in hindsight that you think, ah. you know, we really believe that they were the smartest and the best, and this was a unique opportunity so, what if they're the smartest and the best? Use it to de- develop other people to follow Jesus. So, uh, so, I just want to say the force upon us is so powerful that it is very difficult to keep the main thing the main thing. And you could probably all say, amen. Yeah, we know it. And, uh, and so, as one of those who's battling the same battle as you are, How do we work to keep the main thing the main thing? There's three things I want to walk through this morning. Uh, One is is we just have to stay clear about what the main thing is. What is the main thing? And then once once we kind of have a clarity on the main thing, then we have to choose what do I do and what don't I do. That is no easy thing either. But once we know what we should do or what we should stop doing then we got to have, if you will, the guts to do it. And I'm convinced that's the hardest part of this whole shebang. Um, And so that's what I want to walk through this morning. So when we talk about being a devoted follower of Jesus and helping others become devoted followers of Jesus, uh, the obvious question may be, okay, that's a big deal. Can you make that a little bit clearer for me? Can you make that a little bit more concrete for me? And, uh, and the answer is yes. Uh, it, uh, as, as a leadership team, when we went through the Scriptures and we looked at what does it mean to, to be growing in our own devotion to the Lord Jesus, what does it mean to help other people become followers and grow in their own devotion to the Lord Jesus, it seemed like there's four different areas uh, of discipleship that have a little different nuances to them that all add up to to developing in our own devotion to Jesus and helping other people do that. The first one is our is just the personal relationship with God, knowing God, or in my discipling of other people, helping them to know who God is. The second one is 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 that God has. Uh, The Christian experience is not a solo experience. He has put us together uh, with other people who know God, and he has some dynamics by being together that are not replicable anyplace else. And so then engaging as church family. The third dynamic is, is that once we know Christ as our Savior, we know something about our neighbors and the people we work with, the people we go to school with, that they are totally oblivious to. We know that God's the main thing. And we know that their life will come to an end, and if they don't make God the main thing before the end of their life, they have an eternity of hell in front of them. And so we have an obligation to organize our lives to go and to tell them that and to help them develop a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the the fourth one is, is just kind of the flavor that we increasingly do this with. Now, it's good to obey the Lord even if you just have to grunt and groan and do it out of sheer obedience. And there are those times in our life. But there's, there should be, as we grow in our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we mature, there's more and more a sense of, wow, God, oh, help God. There's a sense of praising God. I don't do this just because I have to. I do this because, wow, God is big, and he is glorious, and he is good. And we reinforce some of that even as we sing. And there's also a sense, I don't want to just do what I can pull off. Help me, God, do what only you can do in my life and through my life. And so that's kind of, if you will, the seasoning out of which we do all three of these other things. So let's walk through these quickly and, uh, and make sure that we're clear on them. Knowing God and living our lives according to the Bible. Now the word knowing can be used in a couple different senses, can it? It can be used of knowing cognitive information, or it can be used of a relationship. So for example, Mario's down here, and uh, I can know about Mario, probably Wikipedia or someplace you're probably really famous, and so I could look up on Wikipedia, and I could learn facts and figures about Mario when he was born, some things about him, without ever having a relationship with him. Or, I can know him relationally. When you see and, and by the word, knowing relationally means that we do know cognitive things about person, right? It's just taking it another step to where there's some kind of a personal relationship. When we talk about knowing God, we're not talking about knowing facts and figures only about God. We're talking about knowing Him and having a personal relationship with Him. And, uh, and that's the way the Bible uses it. It tells us the demons know God. They know facts and figures about God, and they tremble based upon that because they have never come into a relationship with him where they know him. And so knowing God is, is a huge part of this and living our lives according to the Bible. What's the big deal about the Bible? Why is the Bible such a big deal? And it was good to send through uh, Dennis's class Last hour, because this is the subject. So, here again, what's the big deal about this book? I could know Mario by looking him up on Wikipedia. I could know Mario by watching him at a distance and noticing things that he does and how he does things. In other words, I could know that he likes the LA Dodgers because he's wearing that t shirt. I can know about his abilities by watching what he does. I could know what he likes in food taste, I could know what he likes in beauty, I could know what he does when he doesn't like something and smashes stuff or throws it in the trash. I could learn a lot about Mario by just watching him and observing him. But if I really want to know Mario, what must I do? I must, yeah, talk to him and especially listen to him. I have to listen to him because otherwise I don't know why he likes the Dodgers. He may be getting paid to wear that T-shirt for all I know because somebody else <laughs> likes him and he hates him. I don't know. Uh... <laughs> okay. Work-related. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why he does and creates beautiful things. I don't know why he throws certain things in the trash can and doesn't throw other things in the trash can. The only way I can do that is to to listen to Mario and not let it go in one ear and out the other. This book, this Bible, is our chance to listen to God tell us about himself. Now, we can learn a lot about God through creation, can't we? We can learn a lot about his beauty and all that, but we won't know why he created things beautifully until we listen to what he says. We won't understand why there's so much pain and trauma in this world and why he doesn't intercede sometimes and why he does intercede sometimes unless we listen to him. The only limitation really on us knowing God is listening to him and not letting it go in one ear and out the other, and letting what he says change our lives. That's really the only limitation that any of us have. Will we spend time listening to God, and we know him through his word? That's why the Bible is such a big deal. That's why we study it. That's why we recite it. That's why we memorize it. And it never grows old. Psalm 23 can become more and more significant. Did two memorial services the last two days. Both of them chose Psalm 23. I can guarantee you when you've lost a husband and lost a brother, Psalm 23 takes on a whole different meaning than it ever had before that time. And so, knowing God and living our lives according to the Bible. Here's a verse that's probably somewhat familiar. Let's read it together, in fact. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Now, the devotion to the Lord is caught there in that first phrase, right? Trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All. All your heart which means stop leaning on your own understanding. You're a finite person. I'm a finite person. He's an infinite person. And the amazing thing about God is He wants us to live out of His understanding and out of His wisdom. It's the craziest thing in the world that He would even make that available to us. That's the beauty of the Gospel, isn't it? And and so, in all Him ways, acknowledge Him. The word acknowledge bugs me a little bit. Because I think it's changed since this was translated into the King James in 1611. Because sometimes I think we acknowledge by just saying, oh, hi. That's not what this word means. The word is the word know. And what it's saying, in all your ways, press in to know him. And then he will direct your paths. The point is, is not just to get it and do it right. The point is to know him. As the Apostle Paul would say, I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. God, more than anything, wants us to know Him in our relationship with Him. And that so much comes through the Scriptures. And so, knowing Him. Secondly, is engaging his family in God's church to become more like Jesus. Uh, God, as I said, the, the Christian life is not an individualistic experience. That's why it says brothers and sisters. That's why it calls all who are rightly related to him children. And he has put us in the church and expects us to engage in the church because it is a, is, is a place, it's a developmental community, if you will. It is one of the places that we become more like Jesus. Quite frankly, this is the reason some people leave the church. Because the church is going to require them to be more like Jesus. Because you have to forgive people, you have to love people, you have to do all those things in real relationships. And they're so self absorbed. Well, who is the least self absorbed person that ever walked the earth? Jesus Christ. And the church is that developmental place. Ephesians describes the church as a place where God has placed some gifted people who have some maturity under their belt, and the whole purpose of them is to equip everybody else on how to live the Christian life, how to, how to, how to be a devoted follower of Jesus. And the church is made up so that you have people coming into the church that are brand-new followers of Jesus. Man, they'll believe anything you tell them. Consequently, they're unstable. And, and they'll end up believing every form of doctrine. And the point of the church is to teach the truth about who God is so that they begin to have a stability in their relationship with him, knowing him truly through the scriptures. And to help them to understand that God has a high calling upon their lives and to know how to live out that calling. And a part of that calling is, is, to, is, to, to, is to serve within the body of Christ providing what they uniquely can provide so that the whole body of Christ will be built up in love. The local church is a developmental community, and it requires engagement. It's not like going to a concert, you show up and leave. It requires engagement. Engagement relationally, engagement financially, engagement serving. It just requires engagement and through that, God makes us more like the Lord Jesus. This is what Hebrews 10 says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord's return, drawing near. And so God calls us to engage. Now, there's all kinds of contexts for this. There's the large group like we're doing here. There's the small group that uh, we do during the week, uh, Amplify for the young adults, our high school and middle schoolers on Wednesday night. And quite frankly, we need both this large group and we need the smaller group. There's also all kinds of social settings that we often don't think about as developmental contexts, but they are. They absolutely are. And um, I mean, I sat over at the Glover's on New Year's Eve with Dave and Angela and Camilla and Jerry and uh, Louisa, and we had a a really healthy discussion of, so what happens when you die? What happens with this? What happens with this? Tell me more about your life. I mean, there's all kinds of, of developmental stuff that goes on in those conversations for every single one of us. And so engaging as family to become more like Jesus. The third one emphasizes the fact that if we know God, we know things that nobody else knows. And if you would, grab a Bible, either paper, electronic. If you don't have one, just grab the paper one out of the pew in front of you and there's the page number. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. Let's let's read uh, 11 uh, down through 15 there. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus Christ, will not be disappointed. Some translations say, put to shame. And the picture there is, uh, when, when every one of us die, we have an encounter with God. And those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be put to shame on that day because the righteousness of Christ and his crucifixion will cover all of the shameful things, all of the sin we have ever, ever committed. And so whoever believes in him will not be disappointed or put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all. And don't you love this phrase? abounding in riches for all who call upon him. So it doesn't make any difference what your ethnicity is. He is the Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then the very pragmatic problem How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And so the pragmatic issue is for people to to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they have to hear about him. And how are they going to hear about him? We have to organize our lives to go tell them about them. And so that's what Janet was sharing the testimony of, of how God dropped an old friend in her life and how some clerk just proclaimed Christ through their own testimony. We know something they don't know. They are ignorant, headed to the slaughter. we have a huge responsibility to organize our lives to go and to tell them about who God is and what Christ has done. Open up your bulletins for just a minute, right to the middle there. This is, this is something that so easily slips off of our radar and our priorities. That's why it's center in our bulletin every single week. I need this reminder, I suspect many of you do as well. And so that's why we ask each of us to identify eight to 15 people. Now for the last two weeks, uh, we've asked you to rethink who is on your eight to 15. We have a tendency that once God puts someone on our heart, we keep them on there forever. And, and I get that. I totally understand that because they have value and we want them to be saved. And, and for family members and some like that, you may want to do that. But here's the reality about the gospel. We cannot, we will not have an access into people's lives unless God is working. Do you agree with that? And, and so part of our responsibility is not to think that we can just blast our way in every place. Part of our responsibility is to be attentive, as best we know how, to where is God working, and to put our energies and efforts into those relationships, and and to be His instruments there. So, to whom is the Spirit leading you? Uh, Even probably more helpful, where do you see God working? I mean, if somebody is friendly with you and they're unbelievers, I would say, God's doing something there. It's the person of peace principle in Luke 10. If somebody won't give you the time of day, don't become so obnoxious that you say, come hell or high water, you're going to hear the gospel from me. No, just go where you sense God working. And uh, I love the way you said it, Janet. The Spirit was just so clear that night. It will be clear. Now, here's the trick. He may be causing people to be friendly to you that you really don't want to be friendly with. <laughs> so this, this is the risk of the deal. He may pick people other than you and I would pick. That's his deal, though, right? That's part of us letting God be big and us small. Who's open and responsive to you? So just ask you to reconsider uh, as we begin a new year who should be on your 8 to 15. This card is in the pew in front of you. And just would encourage you to make it a Bible marker and write the people on there and, so that you would pray for them and then figure out what opportunities and how you can uh, seek opportunities. The next thing that we do to, to, to get the gospel out is we work with other churches in our city. And uh, really excited about some of the things that are doing here. Part of the functional, practical thing we do is pray for another church every week. And so this week, uh, we're encouraging all of us to pray uh, for hope chapel and paul Harmon and the ministry there and uh the churches are meeting together we actually have a meeting this week and uh our our mission and goal is that every man woman boy and girl in huntington beach would have multiple opportunities to hear the gospel we will do some work projects in april called restore hb we will do the sunrise service at the pier but we will work together with other churches in order to get the gospel out. And then we work uh, to get the gospel out to particular parts of the world through missionary partners to the nations, and that's the final thing down there. This week, uh, you're praying for us as we go, and you're praying for those who uh, we will be serving and working with over in Indonesia. And so this is all a part of what we do to make sure that we... Keep the people who do not know, the people who are never going to scream, they're never going to say, I'm headed to hell, help me. We know that. And we have a responsibility to organize our lives in order to do that. Now, just a quick note on this. We have changed our church schedule over the past few years and done away with some things. We have done away with those things because many of us were too busy doing things at church to spend time with the people that need the gospel. And our culture has so changed that people, when they get in hard spots, they're not looking to the church for help anymore. They were 20 years ago when I came here as pastor. Now we're going to have to become New Testament people. And we're going to have to go to them. So here's the deal. Each one of us are God's gospel tentacles into the lives of people, into the homes of people. And we need to go. We need to go. We need to figure out how do I cultivate the relationships? How do I go? How do I bring the conversation up? When there's a need, how do I enter into that with gospel intentionality to love and to care for them? How as a household do I do this? Have the soccer club over for pizza. Have the violin students over for dessert. That, that, sadly, is almost a new way of thinking for the church in America. But it's a very New Testament way of thinking. And, and we're just trying to turn this corner. Now, here's the deal. Um, if you get stuck in something, we're here. If you get stuck and, and you end up saying, "Oh no," we're here to help, but we're no substitute for you. If you end up, uh, somebody has a fire, or you're one of your neighbors or something, and they need help, or or maybe their house is just all run down and they're open to people helping, and you need uh, you need some financial help, you need some elbow grease help. We're here, and we would love to be a multiplier, but we are no substitute for each one of us and the relationships we have with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our students. Do you get that? And so don't minimize the people that God has put around you. Figure out how to organize your life in order to get the gospel to them. This is helpful. Jesus, when he looked out at the crowds, it's easy to get frustrated with the crowds and what's going on in our culture, right? When Jesus looked at the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's the heart we need to have towards people who do not know Christ. They just don't know any better. They don't know Christ. The final one is, in all things, praising God and seeking Him through prayer. As I said, this is kind of the flavor of our life that God continues to change. So the Christian life isn't, I must, I have to, I do but it really changes to, wow, God. And, oh, God, I don't want to live in my own power and strength. This is going to be the emphasis next Sunday, so I'm going to let that one lay right there. Now, once you have clarity, then you have to make some choices, right? And, uh, and so once you have clarity, you have to make choices. Boy, this is the hard part. What do I do and what don't I do? Now, we all know that the, the choice of evil over good... And we get that evil is the enemy of good. And we need to say no to evil and yes to good. But there's a more subtle war for our priorities. And that is between good and what is godly. What is good and what is uniquely a work of the divine God. And doing good things can also and often is the enemy of doing divinely godly things. Things that are redemptive in developing our own devotion to Christ and developing the devotion of those people around us. So, how do I make choices? Here's a couple things. Uh, Where God has spoken clearly in His Word, just obey it. Just obey it. You don't even have to pray about whether you should obey it. Just save your breath. Should I stop looking at pornography? Should I forgive this person? Don't even pray about that. It's it's just wasted prayer. Use your prayer to say yes or no. If it's evil, no. If it's righteous, yes. Yes. What if there's no clear word from your father, from God, through his word? Three things. Ask God. Just ask him. Uh, And if you're functioning in all four of those things, uh, that clarity, oftentimes he'll give you an answer. He he will give you an answer. Now, it's often more subjective than we want, but he, he speaks. He still speaks and gives direction. It will always be in accordance with his word but it would be a particular application of his word. So ask God. Secondly, ask others. If you're married, these these decisions are made by a husband and wife together because the moral imperative is that the husband and wife become one flesh. And so you always process this together. If you're not becoming more one flesh through the decision, then you're into the category of what is clearly spoken of by God. I'm not saying that's easy, I'm just saying that's the way it is. Ask other people who love you enough to be honest with you, who have enough maturity under their belts to say, yeah, that sounds like God. That sounds like the Spirit. That sounds like what He would be saying for you to do or to stop doing. And as you're doing that, ask these two questions. Will, or where will, I best develop in my own devotion to Christ? Where will I in my own devotion grow most in Christ? (laughs) And where will I have the greatest opportunity to develop other people to become followers of Jesus and to follow him? That's the main thing, right? So those two questions should always be part and parcel of, of how we figure out and make decisions. Now here's what's tricky about this, is often the place where we will grow in our devotion are the places where we are the most uncomfortable, the places where we feel the most incompetent, the places where we're going to have to live the most dependently. None of us have, I don't think, well, maybe there's one or two of you here. Hardly any of us have a default position that moves into dependency with God. But that's where God calls us. That's where we grow in devotion. And that's where often the people are that we can help develop as well in their own devotion to Christ. And so, we have some clarity. We understand we have to make some choices. I think this next one is by far the hardest one. And that is, we just have to have the courage to say no to things and to say yes to things. When God handed the baton from Moses to Joshua, Joshua chapter one, over and over in that first chapter, at least three times, he says to Joshua, What? Some of you know this. Be strong and courageous. The baton that God is calling each of us to carry, we will never carry without being strong and courageous. Strong in our belief in what God has called us to, and courageous to be countercultural and to be counter to what we would naturally desire. And so it takes great courage to do this. Here's a couple of maybe helpful things. Our courage is in God. Our courage is never to be in ourselves. One of the things that God weans us off of is a confidence in ourselves. The reality is, is the more you grow in Christ, the more you have a confidence in God and the least you have a confidence in yourself. That is, if you continue to put yourself in places where God wants to show up and show what he alone can do. The Apostle Paul, sometimes we look at the Apostle Paul and think he was just, oh, it was just natural for him to walk into hostile situations or to walk into a town not knowing if he'd be received or, or, or stoned and thrown out. It was not natural for him. It was not natural. He had to live a life of constant courage. And he captures it well here in these verses. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. There's a lot of people that become very competent in wielding this book, and it brings death. It just beats people to a pulp. Paul says, no, I have to live in a sufficiency in God through Christ and in the Spirit, because when the Spirit moves me, and I use this word, it brings life. It brings life. Paul, I'm convinced, was almost always functioning out of his comfort zone. Just reading in Ephesians, when he went there to say goodbye to the elders, and he reminds them, remember, I was here in the much tears and pain. That's the place where we get desperate for the Lord. That's the place where we cry out and say, oh, God, I'm in over my head. I beg your help. And we know that there's a sufficiency that comes from God, that is not in amongst ourselves. Now I'm not suggesting we don't become competent but don't ever depend upon our competencies. That's all about me, that's all about you. This needs to be all about God and therefore we have to put ourselves and follow him into places that is gonna require us to function in a desperate sufficiency in him. I don't know if very many people that look for those things, almost all of us back away, say, I can't do that. That's why a lot of us don't reach out to our neighbors, isn't it? What if they ask something I don't know? What if they're in a big mess? You know, they need a pastor's help. You think I know any more than you do? (laughs) You're not right. I may have a little more experience, but you have no idea. I have to walk into situations I mean, it's the great blessing of my calling. Kind of the buck stops here, and you think you suck it up, you say help God, and you take steps forward. And you watch God do things. I mean, you're sitting at a counseling thing, and people have got so messed up lives, and you say, oh God, help. I don't even know what to say. And the Spirit will bring something to mind, and you share it with them, and you know, a few le- years later they'll come back and say, Do you remember when you told me that? It changed my life. So then I try to remember that, which is always a challenge. <laughs> and invariably, if I can remember it, I can remember saying, Help God in Him giving me that word. That's the normal Christian life. You are as competent to lead your friends and neighbors into a relationship with Christ and help them grow in Christ. Why? Because your sufficiency comes from the same place as mine. Where's that? From God. And so understand where our sufficiency is from and understand what the goal of our life is. Paul said this after he had planted many churches, after he led many people to Christ, after he'd written letters that are a part of our New Testament. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting all that, I don't think about the churches I planted. I don't think about the letters that I've written that are going to be part of the New Testament. I don't think about the thousands of people that have come to Christ. Uh, That's all behind me. God has given me a new day to live, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus until Jesus calls me upward and home I am going to press forward. I'm going to press forward. And everything within our culture says, retire, take a break, you graduated from school, have this much money in the bank so you don't have to worry about it. None of that stuff is bad in and of itself as long as this stays the heartbeat that drives us. Now certainly there's seasons in our life there's times where you can go with Amplify to Sulawesi on a very difficult trip physically. And there's times where you say, my body can't take that anymore. So I won't go there, but I will go here where my body can take it. And there's times where we may not be able to get out of bed, so we say, come on in here, gather around my bed. Let me help you develop more into a devoted follower of Jesus. But it never stops. It never stops. May God give us the courage to live in his sufficiency for the reason that he called us. Final quote. The value of our life is computed not by its duration but by our growing devotion to following Jesus and our developing others to follow him too. A life that lasts 20 years and is growing in its devotion and helping other people is of much more value than an 80-year-old who hasn't done that. Do you believe that? That's the truth. That is so radically different than everything that screams at us all the rest of the week. May God's voice increase into our life and may we live for his glory and his purposes spirit of the living god we thank you for your word man i thank you for each and every one who's here i thank you for the clarity in which your word speaks i thank you for the way it helps us to choose what to do and what not to do and how you help us in that and i thank you for the courage i just uh, pray that the words that you spoke to joshua would ring in our ears be strong and of good courage man i have I have a work for you to do in your own growth and in helping other people to grow. Start walking and see what I'll do. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.